Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Rwanda and Uganda hold talks to defuse tensions and UN General Assembly's 72nd session gets underway. In economics news, Zambia may import 300 megawatts of power from South Africa. And in sports news, Cameroon prepares for under-17 tournament in Turkey. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. A committee looking into abuses in Burundi has concluded that President Pierre Kurunziza is personally accountable for serious violations. They have presented their final report before the International Human Rights Council in Geneva. Investigators found that opposition members, their families and people who have not cooperated with the ruling party ahead of next year's elections have been killed, abducted or tortured. The UN Commission's report says agents of the National Intelligence Service, the police and the ruling party, Youth Wing, were the main perpetrators of the crimes against humanity. South African political analyst Zamikaya Maseti says the special envoys that President Cyril Ramaphosa had deployed throughout the continent should offer no apologies but rather a stern warning to the various governments to make sure their nationals adhere to the rule of law while in South Africa. Ramaphosa's move is an attempt to repair the damage that the recent attacks on foreign nationals have caused. The head of South Africa's special envoy Jeff Khadebe will travel the continent to initiate peace talks and apologize. Masetti says the narrative that South Africans are xenophobic is false, but some foreign nationals in the country are exploiting the most vulnerable, resulting in the violence as communities fight back. Those envoys must also be in a better position to convey our displeasure about the conduct of their foreign national. Who will apologize for those children and daughters who are enslaved by Nigerians, who are prostitutes, who are drug addicts. Who will apologize for those people, South African girls who are abused by Pastor Omotoso? We cannot beg on bended knees, but we have to communicate a very, very clear message about some of these evil acts that we experience in our communities. Our communities are vulnerable, they are facing unemployment. Meanwhile, President Ramaphosa says the special envoys he has sent to different African countries are being warmly received. Ramaphosa sent the team to countries such as Nigeria, Senegal, the DRC in Zambia. Speaking on the sidelines of the official launch of the district-based development model in Lusikisik in the Eastern Cape Pro- uh, Province, President Ramaphosa said he was happy with the reception his special envoys were receiving. 
With this one, we want government to work in a coherent manner, in an integrated manner, vertically integrated and also horizontally properly coordinated. And with this, we will be able to have one plan for one district and one budget. So we will stop having different plans. We'll have one budget that is pulled together from national, provincial, district and to local level. What will it do? It will enhance service delivery, promote economic development. It will also be able to deal with issues such as procurement so that we get local procurement happening. So for me, this is a game changer. Former President of South Africa's ruling ANC, Tabumbeki, says Zimbabwe had to delay its land reform processes back in 1990, at least for a decade, so that the ANC could successfully negotiate with the apartheid government in South Africa. Mbeki says at that time, the late former President Robert Mugabe wanted to take land from the white farmers and return it to its rightful owners in Zimbabwe. Delivering the Robert Mugabe Memorial Lecture, Mbeki also called on South Africans not to forget countries such as Nigeria and Zimbabwe that stood firmly against the oppressive apartheid government. The then Secretary General of the Commonwealth, uh, Chief Emeka Anyoku from Nigeria, then approached President Mugabe to plead with him not to change the Lancaster House provisions as they related to the land question. And Chief Anyoko's argument was that if Zimbabwe did something like that, moved to address the land issue correctly as they need to address it, it would frighten the white population in South Africa and make it more difficult for the ANC to negotiate with them. Could Zimbabwe please hold this matter back? And they they agreed. And finally, U.S. media are reporting that Washington has identified the exact locations in Iran from which an attack on oil facilities in Saudi Arabia was launched at the weekend. The reports say more than 20 drones and cruise missiles were used in the attack. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue reports. According to reports from the U.S. network CBS, senior officials have pinpointed the launch locations in southern Iran at the northern end of the Persian Gulf. If true, it would fit with satellite images released by Washington over the weekend, which appeared to show the impact of the strikes on the northern and western parts of the processing complex. In other words, the opposite side from Yemen. Houthi rebels have insisted they launched the attack and Tehran has denied it was involved. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time. The 74th session of the General Assembly is underway in Nigeria's Tijani Mohamed. Muhammad Bande, officially assuming the helm just days ahead of high-level week. The theme for the new session is galvanizing multilateral efforts for poverty, eradication, 
quality education, climate action and inclusion. Schoenbar's piece reports from New York. Banda becomes the second Nigerian and the 13th African to preside over the General Assembly and has placed the post-2015 developmental agenda at the center of his year-long presidency. I'm honored to address you today as president of the 74th session of the United Nations General Assembly. I'm grateful to all member states for the confidence reposed in me and assure you of my commitment to upholding the ethics of the office of the president of the General Assembly and the principles in the United Nations Charter. He indicated that he'd work for the promotion of peace and security, conflict prevention and ensuring greater collaboration between the organs of the UN, particularly with the Security Council and Secretariat. During this session, I urge all member states to share their experiences on poverty eradication, especially on how improved social protection systems can benefit vulnerable people who are most affected by poverty. I request you all to focus on how best to strengthen the UN system to ensure that the most vulnerable escape the debilitating web of poverty and hunger through sharing of knowledge on sustainable food production systems, resilient agricultural practices. During the 74th session into next year, the UN will mark its 75th anniversary. Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Today's world is rapidly changing and our challenges are global and increasingly interlinked. As we enter a decade of action on the Sustainable Development Goals and as we ask for more urgency and ambition on climate change, with 2020 being a crucial year, we have to convince people that the United Nations is relevant to all and that multilateralism offers real solutions to global challenges. Guterres warned that expectations of the organization were high. People's expectations on our organization, especially the General Assembly and the Security Council, are profound. One thing that particularly concerns me and was echoed by Professor Bande in June is the trust deficit between nations. Transparency, dialogue and greater understanding are essential to alleviating mistrust. And the General Assembly is a unique and indispensable forum where the world can come together to advance on sensitive and important issues. High Level Week begins on Monday with a Climate Action Summit ahead of the start of the general debate next Tuesday. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. Rwanda and Uganda have agreed to resolve issues that have strained bilateral relations in recent months. Rwanda has also handed a list of the names of its citizens it says are being detained in Uganda. During a meeting of the Ad Hoc Commission for the Implementation of the Memorandum of Understanding between the two countries, signed in Luanda last month. Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. This first meeting between Rwanda and Uganda came after peace agreement that was signed by President Paul Hagam of Rwanda and Yori Museveni in Angola last month, facilitated by different heads of states in the region. In this private meeting in Kigali, several resolutions were agreed upon, of which one included Rwanda sharing a list of 209 Rwandans illegally detained in Uganda, as explained by the Rwanda State Minister in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Ambassador Olivier Hunjirehe during a press conference in Kigali with his Ugandan counterpart. We had a productive and trustful talks talking about the problem and defining solutions. That is why the meeting took many hours. We talked and this is not the last time. It's a process 
and will continue in the meetings of this commission as revealed in the communique, there is a list we send to our Ugandan counterparts for them to gather information on their detention and in the next meeting they will give us an update on the due legal process. Those people from Rwanda that with no cases will be freed and those suspected of certain crimes will be tried. The list is there and we handed it over to our Ugandan counterparts. The Ugandan Foreign Minister, Sam Kutesa, pledged to follow up on the problem and those who found without any case to answer will be raised while those suspected of other crimes will be tried in Uganda according to the country's laws. Due legal process which will relate not only to those ones who are to be there now but also in the future. Everybody should be subjected in both countries to due legal process. In other words, we are going to use the courts, we are going to use the DPP, we are going to use all the formal ways of dealing with uh, people who are alleged criminals or alleged detained so that we distinguish the innocent from the guilty. Mediating countries were represented by Angola and Minister of Foreign Affairs, Manuel Domingos Agasto, and the other six Deputy Prime Minister, Gilbert Kankonde Malamba, Angolan Foreign Minister, said that these talks were positive signs in Africans joining hands, finding solutions to their problems. This is a very positive sign and is also a proof that we all believe that we can find African solutions for African problems. It is indeed with this spirit that Angola remains available and committed in this, to this process and uh, we will be doing everything possible to make sure that our brothers from Rwanda and Uganda can get together on finding solutions for the different issues that now uh, they face. The Deputy Prime Minister in charge of security in the DRC, Gilbert Kankonde Malamba, also mentioned that the African spirit should be of collaboration in everything. The African values require us not to be observers. When your neighbor's house is burning, it is likely yours might as well get lit. That is why we are here for our brothers for them to continue the journey of long-lasting peace in our region. Rwanda State Minister Ambassador Riven Hunjere also elaborated that there was willingness to find solutions for problems between the two countries as signed in the Luanda Agreement last month. There is willingness on both sides to find solutions to the problems we have and we want long-lasting solutions for citizens of both countries to coexist happily and securely as it used to be. Ugandan Foreign Affairs Minister Sam Kutesa was representing the Ugandan government while the London delegation was led by State Minister at the Foreign Affairs Ministry. The next commission's meeting will be held in Kampala in the next 30 days from now. Silvanus Karimera reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. 
South Africa's former president, Thabo Mbeki, gave a moving tribute on the life and times of the late former Zimbabwean president, Robert Mugabe. Mbeki delivered a memorial lecture in honor of the late statesman in Durban. He gave a narrative of Mugabe's contribution to South Africa's liberation struggle, even delaying land reform for his own country for the sake of the negotiations between the ruling ANC and the apartheid government. The event, organized by the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal, marked a historic occasion, being Mbeki's first time to First time addressing the ANC gathering since he left office in 2008. Vusi Makosini reports. A memorial lecture to honor the revolutionary giant, late Robert Mugabe. Mpegi addressed an ANC gathering for the first time in 13 years. The former president took the audience on the journey, traveled with Mugabe and his relations with the ANC in South Africa from his youth days in the ANC Youth League. That since ZANU had broken away from ZAPU, 15 years later, 15 years later, during which 15 years the ANC had not worked with ZANU, 15 years later, Rod Mugabe sent his deputy to see the ANC to say, we are in a common struggle. We now have a possibility to assist you people in terms of engagement with the masses of the people in South Africa. And therefore, could you then get your comrades to come and join our units and we will make sure that they are able to interact with this population in what is now Limbobo. Through the years, the ANC and Mugabe maintained their relations even after Zimbabwe had gained its independence in 1980. Mbegi says the ANC even set up a military base in Zimbabwe in order to infiltrate South Africa. This, according to Mpegi, was just a few months after Zimbabwe had gained its independence. We worked out a system of cooperation, which meant Zimbabwe Defense Force actually moved a battalion of the army to the banks of the Limpopo. The reason for that was that we could then bring in weapons from Zambia into Zimbabwe, which the Zimbabwe army would pick up at the border, take them through Zimbabwe, to that battalion so that our people would then come into Zimbabwe carrying no weapons. Instead, the Zimbabwe government would issue them with false identity cards. So as they go through, they go through as Zimbabweans and collect their weapons on the banks of the Limpopo. The Zimbabwe government would issue us with passports which identify some of us as Zimbabwean. So instead of uh, me traveling as Tabombeki to some secret meeting somewhere in the world, I would travel as Patrick Joao. <coughs> Mpegi says Mugabe and Zimbabweans always stood in solidarity with the oppressed South Africans during the liberation struggle, even delaying that country's land reform. The then Secretary General of the Commonwealth, uh, Chief Emeka Anyoku from Nigeria, then approached President Mugabe to plead with him not to change the Lancaster House provisions as they related to the land question. And Chief Anyoko's argument was that if Zimbabwe did something like that, moved to address the land issue correctly as they need to address it, it would frighten the white population in South Africa and make it more difficult for the ANC to negotiate with them. Could Zimbabwe please hold this matter back? Uh, and they are, they are great. <laughs> 
the former president, says he stands by his earlier statement that Mugabe was disliked by Western countries because of his stance on African countries. He says Mugabe always defended the interests of African countries. I am Vosima Kosin in Devon. Let's go back in time to today in 2004. A divided UN Security Council approved a resolution threatening oil sanctions against Sudan unless the government reined in Arab militia blamed for a killing rampage in Darfur. That's today in history, the year 2004. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. It's 7.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. There's been marginal improvement in South Africa's AgBiz IDC Agribusiness Confidence Index, ACI, to 46 points in the third quarter. The ACI fell to 44 points in the second quarter of this year. The survey was conducted between the 30th of August and the 10th of September in 2019 and comprised agribusinesses operating in all agricultural subsectors across South Africa. Despite the small uptick, a level below the new Neutral 50-point mark implies that agribusinesses are still downbeat about business conditions in South Africa, which is precisely the case with third-quarter results. To talk to us more on this, we're now joined by Chief Economist at the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa, Wandile Sislobo. Wandile, good morning and thank you for so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Uh, good morning, thanks for having me on. Now, what story are these results telling us about agribusiness in the country? Now, I think the story that we are uh, getting from this agribusiness confidence index is really uh, consistent with what is happening, even if you were to look at the general business sentiment and also on a consumer uh, 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 sentiment. And the two stories that uh, there is some bit of a, a uh, subdued uh, uh, confidence in, and everybody is downbeat about be doing uh, about the business conditions in South Africa, and many of the things that they blame or they they, they attribute uh, this mood on is around the policy settings. 
on agriculture, what has given a little inch on the third quarter from the second quarter is the uh, prospects of an improvement on weather conditions, for example, um, as well as the volumes of exports that we're seeing going out. But in as far as one thinks about, okay, for long-term investment, how are the businesses actually feeling? And they still need some bit of a clarity on a number of policies. Either you are looking at water rights allocation, you know, or you are looking at, um, at a land reform policy. But also I think that the drought that the agricultural sector experienced this year, particularly the summer rainfall areas, they also weighed in on its confidence. Because if you look at some of the sub-indices like turnover, net operating income, all of those you see some really downbeat results and also economic conditions, which speaks to the broader theme that we have had a drought and also we have the policy space that is not really on, on, on a good space on it. And the key worry then is to say if the sector is subdued for a prolonged period, what will that mean for investments in the sector and what will that mean for long-term growth as well as the jobs that we so badly need because agriculture in this perspective is important in a sense that it is amongst the sectors that have been seen even by the president to say these amongst the sectors that will help on creating jobs and rural economic growth. So that's the context at which we're really thinking about this. Now, speaking of, uh, you know, jobs and improving uh, jobs, um, there's an improvement in confidence regarding employment. Now, this is from 48 in the second quarter to 58 in the third quarter, which uh, came as a surprise, given that the, the third quarter is a fairly quiet one. Yeah, I mean, we were surprised to see that, but pleasantly so, in a sense that even the companies that were saying they expect to see some bit of an increase in employment on their side were the ones that we actually need them to grow. It is the horticultural sector and to a some certain extent the livestock sector. And when you see uh, improvement in sentiment regarding jobs in those sectors, it gets to be more important in the sense that they are labor intensive. And those are the people that can absorb as many people as they can. And uh, the difficulty of South Africa is that not everyone has been privileged to go to university and have all of the other skills. So some of the other industries like agriculture, which can absorb some semi-skilled South African, we need to see them vibrate so that people can get in and obviously be progressed throughout the venue chain, through upskilling. But our, our, our labor market and levels of education that we, we have been privileged to have, it, it doesn't allow us to really shoot much higher on the venue chain at the very start. People need to progress through some of the, the venue chain jobs, which is why I was excited when, when I see those numbers. But obviously what will be important now is to say, as they indicated the prospects of an increase in employment, when the numbers come out later on, for the jobs data for the third the quarter, will it actually be pointing out to that? We know that in the second quarter we have about we had about 842,000 people working in South African agricultural sector. Will we see a bit of an uptick on, on, on that number? And that's what we're hoping for. But obviously, a lot will depend on the outside factors like the weather conditions because that influences the activity on the farms. But in as far as we can tell right now, it looks like over the next couple of months, which is means around about November going on into January next year, we might receive some good rainfall. If that happens, then obviously there will be increased activity. And then the next couple of quarters might actually be better. Now, as you say, the next couple of quarters might actually be better. Should we expect improvement in the fourth quarter? Um, it is really, I, I, I can't really give you a word on that because what we do when we're measuring the sentiments, we're really asking the CEOs of all of the South African angle businesses on how they feel about the business conditions. Um, and you can never predict on how people think about their business conditions and the investment activity on their side. Uh, but one can only hope to say, if weather conditions improve, 
um, and if we get clarity on some of the other major policies that, that, are, that are lingering on the country, and if on the trade side we're starting to see more and more positive things. You've seen uh, uh, Minister Ibrahim Patel, uh, what he has done on Brexit, um, securing the, the UK market, which was one of the important things. And all of those are positive signals, because in South African agriculture, we are export-orientated industry. We export about 49% of what we produce in value terms a year. So all of these are positive results. If we continue to see some of those positive things, um, we can expect them that sentiment might improve in the sector, but we yet to see. Mandela, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks for having me. That's Wandile Sishobo, Chief Economist at the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa, joining us on the line. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. the globe every second there's always a breaking story Colton Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa reporting for Channel Africa I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned giving you the whole picture every time George Muhango Channel Africa Blantyre reporting for Channel Africa this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, a committee looking into abuses in Burundi has concluded that President Pierre Nkurunziza is personally accountable for serious violations. South African political analyst Zamikaya Maseti says the special envoys that President Cyril Ramaphosa has deployed throughout the continent should offer no apologies but rather a stern warning to the various governments to make sure their nationals adhere to the rule of law while in South Africa. And the UN Special Rapporteur Clement Volet is in Zimbabwe this week on a 10-day visit to assess the human rights situation. Those are the stories making headlines.
South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has described government's new model of service delivery as a game changer. The president officially launched a district-based delivery at the Oratambo municipality in Lusikisiki in the Eastern Cape on Tuesday. The model, also known as Kaoleza, will streamline service delivery at all 44 districts and eight metros across the country. Ndebo Mukobo was there. The Owartambo district in the Eastern Cape is one of the poorest municipalities in the country with a 0.85% contribution to the country's GDP and with unemployment rate standing at almost 40%. And Premier Oscar Mabuyani speaks of some of the challenges that this municipality is grappling with. President, we are currently sitting with a huge backlog of 150,000 for housing, 200,000 households that should be that should have access to water, and 48,000 households that should be provided with electricity. Equally, we must change the economic development trajectory of this district, which is currently kept alive by government and community services sector that employs about 37% of the workforce, with trade at 23% and finance at 21%. And throwing a lifeline to this area, President Cyril Ramaphosa said government will spend almost 12 billion rent in the Oartambo district municipality within the next five years to improve the people's living conditions. All in all, we are going to be spending just a minimum of 11.5 billion rand in Oartambo in a number of projects. Public works as led by Minister Delil is also going to embark on a number of projects, electrification of boreholes, who minister with higher education and science and technology, are going to be focusing on Tivet colleges. The King Sabata Tivet College Phase 2 is going to be attended to, and they are also going to be looking at Ingwe Tivet College. Unpacking his ambitious plan aimed at revitalizing service delivery across municipalities, the president said this new model will help government to work in a coordinated and coherent manner, insisting that it will also help alleviate corruption in the tendering process. With this one, we want government to work in a coherent manner, in an integrated manner, vertically integrated and also horizontally properly coordinated. And with this, we will be able to have one plan for one district and one budget. So we will stop having different plans. We'll have one budget that is pulled together from national, provincial, district and to local level. What will it do? It will enhance service delivery, promote economic development. It will also be able to deal with issues such as procurement so that we get local procurement happening. So for me, this is a game changer. The president will launch a similar model in the Etiquini Metro next month followed by the Waterbeck District Municipality in Limpopo. And on Wednesday, President Ramaphosa will attend the joint sitting of Parliament called to discuss gender-based violence. He has also told the SAPC that he will use the opportunity to unveil the plan to address the socio-economic challenges facing South Africans, and this relates to spate of attacks on foreign nationals in the country in the past few weeks. We do have a plan and we'll be addressing that in the joint sitting of parliament tomorrow. We will be talking about all these matters, including our people's concerns, because they do have deep-seated feelings. But in the end, we must say, whatever the challenges and the difficulties we have, we cannot resort to violence. We must make sure that we address these issues, we sit down and have a dialogue, and we find solutions. Violence, 
against people from other countries, and even violence amongst ourselves. The problem with it, it was already beginning to mutate into tribalism because people were already saying, Shanghans must now leave. The president also said his special envoys to different African countries were warmly received, insisting that some African leaders understand that South Africans are not xenophobic. I am Tebo Mukobo Lusikisiki in the Eastern Cape. South Africa's Trade and Industry Minister Ibrahim Patel says South Africa's trade relations with the United Kingdom will continue without disruption, regardless of the outcome of the Brexit debate currently underway. He says a new deal has been struck with the United Kingdom to avoid the Brexit impact on the static region. Patel made a statement in the National Assembly on the impact of Brexit on South Africa. There was a mixed reaction to the debate, as Mercedes percent tells us more. Patel told the House that Southern African Customs Union in Mozambique, known as SACUM, has entered into new partnership with the UK. He says the negative impact of Brexit would have had a material impact on the six members of the SACUM countries, which are currently trading under the SADC-EU Economic Partnership Agreement. These SACUM countries are South Africa, Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia, Eswatini and Mozambique. The minister says the impact of Brexit would have led to South Africa and other SACUM countries reverting to trade on the WTO rules. Patel says the new deal will help to avoid the disruption of South Africa's exports and those of the SADC region. In July this year, I engaged with my UK counterpart to enable resolution of the remaining issues so that agreement could be concluded before 31 October this year. And the final terms were concluded by SACUM officials in Khabarone earlier this month. The new agreement, which will be known as the SACUM UK Economic Partnership Agreement, will effectively roll over and replicate the terms of trade present in the existing IPA. It will allow for seamless, uninterrupted trade to continue between ourselves and the UK. The DAS welcomed the announcement. The party's Dean McPherson says it will not only benefit South Africa but also the Western Cape province. Until the 31st of October 2019, this access via the EPA to the United Kingdom will remain. However, should the United Kingdom leave the EU without a deal, this new agreement will come into effect. This gives our industries and our farmers much-needed certainty so that they can continue to invest in their production capacities as well as maintain the 175,000 jobs which are employed by businesses and farmers that trade with the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is an important market for South Africa and Western Cape exports. The EFF chief whip Floyd Chibambu has rejected the new SACUM UK economic partnership deal and criticized Patel. The reality is that there won't be anything fundamentally shifting in terms of the colonial status that South Africa occupies in its trade relationship with the United Kingdom. So what that trade relationship will do is to continue to benefit the minority white agricultural practitioners and the European companies that are invested in the manufacturing sector. So it is to say that now that the ultra-nationalists in the UK have relinquished their pan-continental project by voting to leave the European Economic Community. South Africa goes to beg that please don't affect the white minority controllers of the economy in South Africa. The Good Party's Sean August says the focus should be about the economic benefits of South Africa. Honorable Chairperson, 
Whether we agree or disagree with the UK's decision to turn its back on Europe, we rather focus on the new opportunities that it presents for trade and to grow our economy. The UK is historically among South Africa's most important trading partners. These links must be strengthened in the new European context. If government does its homework, Brexit could hold important benefits for South Africa through the development of stronger trade partnerships with Europe. COPE leader Musiwa Lekota says South Africa should maintain relations with both the British and Europeans as long as it's in the interest of the country. We must be able to recognize that we are an independent country and subject to what relations we strike with different countries. That is the road we will take to take South South Africa forward. If the British disagree with the Europeans and decide to reduce relations with them, it must not be at our expense. And we cannot be told by anybody whether we will maintain relations with the British or with the Europeans. We must decide that on the basis of what is in the interest of the people of South Africa. Other parties that supported the deal include the IFP, the Freedom Front Plus, ACDP and the AIC. That report by Mercedes Percent in Cape Town. Two weeks after the starting of the new school term in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the country's public primary schools are overcrowded. This after the government decided to introduce free education for learners in the state-owned primary schools. Some Congolese have expressed concern about the education quality. Januel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. Most of parents here in the Democratic Republic of Congo decided to take their children from private schools and enroll them in public ones following the government decision to cancel all fees for learners starting in public primary schools. Parents have been paying expensive for the last 27 years for their children's studies since the school fees included teachers' salaries in a country where the state failed to take care of teachers and then none of the parents could afford to miss the current free-of-charge education opportunity. This parent who has four children in the primary school has recognized the program won't work very well in terms of education quality, but he believes it needs to be supported hoping things will improve as time goes on. Peter Nathan Kasonko. It's not very easy. I mean, that it's not easy for the first time. As we are in the beginning, we have just only to support because there are conditions which can get rid of all a million of the pupils in any school have not much rooms. For the first time, it's with us not the education of quality. We need to have the quality, but uh, at this time, is it not for the quality? Is it the time to prepare people, uh, familiaries? Is it not easy for one teacher? He will not have much time to go control those peoples. We have spent a long period again called as a slavery. That slavery will just come from our own brothers and sisters. That decision uh, one of the answer to the parents who are poor. And indeed things are not very easy this first year as the government didn't take time to prepare the free of charge education. The country has not enough public schools to take care of the big number of learners. Most of the schools we have visited here in Kinshasa are really overcrowded and in a 
class where the teacher used to teach 30 to 40 learners has found himself in front of more than 100 pupils. I then asked to this teacher who didn't want to be named this time, what's that needed to make sure all these learners benefit not only from studying for free, but to make sure they learn something indeed. The government has to make convention with private schools to put them on the list of the public school. As life is uh, very difficult actually in uh, DRC, many parents shifted their kids uh, from uh, private school to public one. This year, one class had crowded by even 100. The problem will be the quality of education because it is impossible to those kids to learn well. The solution is that uh, the government has to make convention with private schools to put them on the list of the public school to engage more teachers to build some new schools and at the time the quality of education free uh, school will be killed and the education quality too uh, will be killed. And according to this analyst who has expressed optimism, the free of charge education is an ongoing project that needs to be supported. Nkake Bongo told the Channel Africa there is nothing to be afraid of since the government is still having all the time to build more schools and some of the parents are still keeping their children in private schools and this is an Another way of putting a balance in terms of the education quality. The project is still going on, which means they are going to build schools, they are going to build halls. You know, the project it can be done in any way. The matter is to be fulfilled, and uh, I believe public schools they going to have more and more classrooms for the children, because I know soon. We go to holiday even for two weeks. You know, in two weeks we can also build some things. I know uh, the problem is about the quality of education. They're scared because they don't know what, what, what is coming out. Don't forget also, the private school, they're not lost. That report by Jean-Noël Bomweze. It's 7.45 and our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoko. Good morning. An international relations expert in Ghana, Anthony Nyamebafi, says that the country has made a good choice for Africa's integration efforts by ratifying the African Continental Free Trade Agreement and is firmly committed to supporting its successful implementation. Bafi says that, that AFCFTA will enhance Ghana's current industrial transformation agenda and contribute to the diversification of the country's economy. He says it will open new market access opportunities under the preferential terms for Ghanaian producers, particularly small and medium-scale enterprises. Saudi Arabia says its oil supplies fully back online after attacks at the weekend halved output. The Kingdom says it will retain its role as the secure supplier of global oil markets and look into strict security measures to prevent further attacks. Meanwhile, the U.S. says it has identified the exact locations in Iran from which the attack was launched. 
It says more than 20 drones and cruise missiles were used in the attack. As the BBC's Jonathan Marcus reports. This is the strongest claim yet from America that the attacks against the Saudi oil facilities were launched from within Iran itself. No corroborating evidence or intelligence has yet been provided, but if true, it takes the Gulf crisis to a more dangerous level and it demonstrates a new threshold of brinkmanship by the Iranian authorities. Much more information is needed, but if the CBS News report is substantiated, it raises the question of what response, if any, is required. For the White House, this is a strategic dilemma with no easy answers. Meanwhile, the international oil benchmark Brent crude has dropped sharply following Monday's surge that sent shockwaves around the world. Brent, against which Nigeria's crude oil is priced, surged by nearly 20% on Monday after attacks on Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure cut more than half of the country's production. It rose as much as 19.5% to 71.95 US dollars per barrel, the biggest intraday increase since 1991, before dropping to around $68. Zambia's energy ministry says that the government is in talks with the South African power utility Eskom to import 300 megawatts of electricity. The country has a power deficit of more than 750 megawatts because of low water levels at hydropower dams. Zambia has been rationing power after a severe drought hit its hydropower sector, has historically priced electricity below the cost of production via subsidies. Facebook has unveiled its plan to create an independent oversight board to make decisions over how the network is moderated. The firm insists that the panel, which will hear its first cases next year, will have power to override decisions it makes over conscientious material and influence new policy. The idea dubbed a Facebook Supreme Court will eventually comprise 40 people around the world, but will be smaller at first, the BBC's Dave Lee reports. Facebook is desperate to pass on the burden of controlling its more than 2 billion users, power which brings it fierce criticism from those who say the firm has an anti-conservative bias, or others who think Facebook does too little to block issues like hate speech and abuse. The panel, which has been dubbed the Supreme Court of Facebook, will have no fewer than 11 part-time members, but no more than 40. They will hear dozens of cases a year, issues that have been escalated above Facebook's own moderating team. Critics question the board's independence, as it is being funded entirely by Facebook. The US dollar is trading at 358.38 Nigerian Naira, 10.72 Botswana Pula, 102.76 Kenyan Shilling and 13.18 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.8 Brazilian roll. 64.17 Russian ruble, 71.57 Indian rupee, 7.8 Chinese yuan, and 14.72 to the South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 80 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. Gold $1,502, platinum $941 pounds, Brent crude $64.53 a barrel. From an African perspective.
Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we begin with football news. The Cameroon national under-17 football team will take part in the 2019 CAF UEFA Assist Tournament in Istanbul, Turkey this month. A competition which brings together eight nations from three confederations will serve as preparations for the upcoming Under-17 World Cup in Brazil. Ahead of the competition, the Cadet Lions have intensified preparations in their hideout in Mbakomo near Yawonde. Cameroon will play in one of the groups of four teams alongside England, Paraguay and Angola. Nigeria, Scotland and Senegal will also take part in the competition. The African champions are expected to leave for Turkey on the 19th of September. In local football news, the South African Premiership side Highlands Park won a nail-biting penalty shootout 4-3 in the MTN 8 Cup semi-final second leg match played at the Makhulung Stadium east of Johannesburg last night. It was the right boot of 21-year-old winger Mukwiti Mukhaila that sealed the fate of rise and shine, sending the Lions of the North into the first cup final since 1983. We shaded it a little over Polokwani, but you've, you've got to understand that we haven't played for two weeks now, and they played on Saturday. So I think they were a little bit more sharper in, at, at the beginning of the game. But uh, I thought once Mukhaila came in and we, we started exposing them uh, with his speed, uh, it started creating a lot of problems for them. But, they, but look, look, guys, Polo Kwani must get a lot of credit. They're a fantastic team. They're a very, very good team, and they, they certainly have the experience there. And the coach there has done a fantastic job. Um, uh, so we've, we've forgotten about it. It's done now. It's done. We'll think about the final when we get to the final. But for now, our bread and butter is in the league, and that's where we have to uh, get things right. So we'll try and keep them as grounded as, as much. There's a lot of excitement in there. A lot of excitement, but uh, this is all part of the experience. Mm. Playing cup games and playing league games and playing cup games, it's all part of, of building the experience for them. So the more games we play, the better. On to cycling news, South African cyclist Tiffany Keep abandoned the European Tour, Tour of Adeci in France yesterday due to fatigue. The 19-year-old Keep is currently on her way back home after extremely high levels of fatigue forced her to discontinue the race at 90 kilometers mark on stage four of the grueling race. Kip says there was a lot of climbing in the tour. Today was stage four of the tour, but basically I abandoned the tour today due to extremely high levels of fatigue. This tour is probably the toughest thing I've ever done in my entire life and is extremely taxing on the body just due to the fact that there is so much climbing in the tour. I can basically compare it to being like a woman's Tour de France, seven day long one. And the teams racing here are very, very good. The riders are all very fast and very strong. And um, so, unfortunately, I pulled out at the 90-kilometer mark. It was Kip's first attempt at the France race in which she entered with the objectives of learning and gaining experience. Kip, the 2019 South African National Road Championship, says she has accomplished her plan of taking part in the real and the race, although she did not finish. She says... She's not disappointed. 
I'm not too disappointed. Also, the fact that this tour is very, very hard and right before World Championships, which holds more focus for me than this tour. And um, being at such a young age, it was quite a big feat to take on. And I um, did make the decision yesterday that I wasn't going to complete it, but I was planning on at least finishing today. However, I just realized today while riding that idea was not really meant to be. But it's okay. I'm not too despondent because it means more time to rest up and recover before World Championships. Finally, Athletics S31 member South African team has been named to compete at the 2019 IAAF World Championships in Doha in Qatar from the 27th of September to the 6th of October. The squad comprises 26 men and 5 women. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the at the hour, Rwanda and Uganda hold talks to defuse tensions and the UN General Assembly 74th session gets underway. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Double HP with a song titled So Amazing.
them this tangy spice. Nice. Need a bit of something nice. Nice, nice. Go ahead, name your price. You need that. Jump like a meat bag. Pump with a mean bag. You need a party with a cool cat. That fill up with a wedding boom bag. Let go, piggyna. Let loose, piggyna. Now get booze, piggyna. Drink juice, drink boost, tequila. Saka, saka, ya. Paka, saka, ma. Get down, saka, la, ma. Mana, wa, kaka, ta. Alone and we still can't separate Amazing the time to pass